Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Like many of us, Hannah began experiencing sleep disruption during the COVID pandemic. When it became clear that lockdowns were likely to be extended, Hannah started to find it harder to fall asleep. Before long, she also found it hard to stay asleep too. After trying different types of medication and finding they weren't helping much, and came with some unpleasant side effects, she found a website that shared insomnia tips and advice. After trying a do-it-yourself approach, Hannah realised she would benefit from working with a coach so she could receive personalised support and guidance, and so she enrolled in my online coaching course. In this episode, Hannah talks about the new sleep habits she developed and how she changed her relationship with sleep-related thoughts and tested the sleep-related beliefs that made sleep more difficult. Ultimately, Hannah found that abandoning all attempts to control sleep, accepting difficult nights of sleep and sleep-related worry, committing to new sleep habits, and going about her days as normally as possible really helped her get her sleep back on track. Today, Hannah's sleep is back to normal. She typically averages around seven and a half hours of sleep and is far more resilient to any one-off nights of sleep disruption because she was able to tackle the sleep-related thoughts and behaviours that perpetuate insomnia. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, I always like to start right at the very beginning, so you're going to be no different. I'd love to know if you can remember when your issues with sleep began and do you have any recollection of what triggered that initial sleep disruption? Yeah, I do actually. Um, it happened about, I would say five or six weeks after um, the initial lockdown um, in March when, you know, coronavirus was, was really a serious thing and, um, you know, people were, were being told to stay home. Um, my family and I have lived overseas in developing countries and, um, you know, we, we homeschooled for years with our kids. So we actually felt initially like, all right, we've, we got this, you know, no problem. We, we know how to handle chaotic environments, water shortages, et cetera. 
but I think it was probably after Easter. So worshiping with our church family is a huge deal for us. And we had to do Easter at home. And up until that point, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. We're all, we're all good. It's, we were healthy. Um, nobody had lost their job. And so we felt um, good, but then it was like, that was sort of a, a mark for me. Like after Easter, I think it just sort of settled in, in my mind, like this is not a short-term thing. Like this is going to be a long-term thing possibly. And so, you know, initially I felt okay. Uh, I I've worked from home for years, so I know kind of how to structure my day, but I noticed that it was taking me longer and longer to fall asleep at night. And I just was like, well, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I need to exercise more or something. Um, but it just kept going. Um, the, it, it got harder to fall asleep. And then that sort of morphed into, um, waking up in the night. And I thought, oh, you know, what is this? Now I don't normally wake up. I don't even, I'm not one of those people that even like needs to get up and go to the bathroom typically. Um, so I was like, okay, this is really uncool. And then I would wake up and I would be waking up with a panicky feeling. So it would be like rapid heartbeat sort of becoming aware and having this dread feeling of like, oh no, I'm aware. I'm, I can't go back to sleep. So I sort of tried some over-the-counter stuff, uh, but just like melatonin and I don't like to use medicine unless I just feel like I have no other, you know, resort. And so, um, so initially it was like, I was trying things that were OTC, but like more in the melatonin herbal kind of stuff, but that did not work. And I, I'm sort of a driven person and it has to do with my background. And I, I just, I remember thinking like, okay, so I need to find a solution that what I've done so far is not working. So I need to find something else. Um, and I need to get on this because I had a lot of like anxiety around not sleeping. I had this idea that, you know, everybody was jokingly saying, oh, you know, um, in, during coronavirus, I've, I put on so much weight and, uh, you know, I'm not, I just, I don't feel good. And I'm thinking to myself, that is not going to be me. I am not going to, but I, I had read that there's like a correlation between not getting enough sleep and, and sort of being sluggish and putting on weight, whatever. And at 42, I was like, I am not putting on weight and then having to work super duper hard to get it off. I'm not going to do that. So I ended up eventually after nothing worked calling my GP um, she's actually a personal friend of mine and um, I trust her. And I said to her, look, I think I need to have a sleeping pill because I, I cannot sleep now. I mean, it's, it's actually snowballed and I cannot sleep. And so um, she was like, well, you know, that to her credit, she was kind of like uh, about, about mm -hmm. it because, you know, she knows that people get hooked on them and in some cases they don't work. And, um, but she was kind of going with, but I was like, I'm, I'm anxious now in the day. It's not even just at night. I actually have hyper arousal all day long. I'm a person of faith. I, you know, I pray I have, I have many, many ways to deal with anxiety in my life. So this was very distressing to me because I almost felt like it was an out of body thing where I'm like, my body is betraying me. 
I know it has to be in my mind somewhere, but now it feels physical to me and I don't know how to get beyond this. Mm. So she did, she prescribed me Ambien and she was like, I would just take a half and like only take it maybe every other day and just see how you do because you know, people do crazy things with Ambien on Ambien. So (laughs) I took it and I didn't like sleepwalk or, you know, have conversations with my husband that where I was not, you know, in my right mind, although I know some people do that. Um, But it would help me fall asleep, but it did not help me stay asleep. And I told her, I was like, this isn't, this isn't for me because now I can't sleep maintenance is an issue now. Like Mm. I'm glad that I can fall asleep. Lord knows I'm glad I can fall asleep, but I can't stay asleep. So then she was like, well, okay. So we tried a few different things. Finally, I started taking, um, an, like antihistamine, like a strong, uh, it's a hydroxyzine. It is a strong antihistamine that you can't get except for by prescription. Mm -hmm. And I started taking that and it's true. It knocked me out. And I, had no consciousness in the night. If I did wake up, it was like, I mean, I couldn't stay awake because it was being drugged. Um, initially I was like, uh, you know, I don't really like how long it takes me to wake up in the morning because I really feel drunk in the morning. But on the other hand, I had it in my head of like, but this is making me sleep through the night. I, you know, and I, so far I can't find another solution. So uh, maybe I should just stop and let you ask another question. I don't know, but. No, you can keep going. This is great. Okay. So, so I, you know, meanwhile, I've, I've got three teenagers at home, you know, yeah. um, multiple animals and I'm in charge of just running things at home. So, but I just, am like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired in the morning. And I found that all I wanted was sugar which I don't eat a lot of sugar. And like, normally I eat healthfully and I exercise. I have all these things that I do, but I was like, all I want is Nutella. It was crazy. (laughs) And I think it was because my body was like, you're, you're you're like sluggish. You're so, so, you know, I don't know, drugged. So I always told myself, this is going to be temporary. I am not going to be on a sleeping pill for the rest of my life. I'm not going to, you know, I saw where, you know, some antihistamines, there's been some studies that suggest that um, they're linked to Alzheimer's and dementia later on. I mean, long-term use, I don't know if that's true or not, but I was like, I'm not going to be on this forever. My grandpa had Alzheimer's, my grandma had dementia. I'm like, I'm not going to do this, but I had grown psychologically dependent. The, The beautiful thing I guess if there is one about hydroxyzine is you don't develop a physical dependence. So I knew that you don't, I knew that it wasn't like benzos or, you know, trazodone or some of these other like heavy duty sleep meds that actually do create um, dependence. But what happened, so that was the only reason I took hydroxyzine is I was like, I don't want to get hooked. But what happened is I developed a psychological, um, dependence on these pills. And I became convinced that if I don't take them right now in my life, I'm not going to be able to sleep. So on a few occasions, I would be like, I am going to stop. 
I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the few times that I tried, I, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I didn't sleep. And I was like, see, I can't do it. Well, okay. So fast forward about four months or five months. And by this point, I'm like, you know, this is starting to just feel like a life thing. Like I just have to have these sleeping pills. And I feel so bad about that just because I don't know, it's probably pride on my part, but I just didn't want to, I don't, I'm very healthy and I just did not want this. Mm-hmm. Well, so I got on the scale and this is pure vanity. I do know that, but I got on the scale and I had in the last four or five months, I had put on something like nine pounds. And for me, because I'm petite, I was like, I, 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 I've never, I, I don't since I was pregnant, I have never put on that weight. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't blame it all on meds, but I don't remember eating more. I really do feel that it's because everything was just sluggish for, I mean, just there's such a long half-life on for hydroxyzine that it's never fully, you know, it, it gets out of your system about six hours by the time you take it mm-hmm. again. So you're just kind of always in the state of like depressed everything. And that is what it took. I was like, I'm done. I am not taking these. (laughs) My husband saw me go to the medicine cabinet and be like, I don't care if I never sleep again. I am not having this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it took for me. Um, And then I had an awful, awful week. I mean, a week of just not sleeping. I found then, um, and this was sometime in, in maybe like late summer. I found a, um, a website that was so a labor of love, a woman who had had insomnia for three years and she, you know, chronicled her journey, but then also talked about CBTI and how she was free from it. And so she was kind of trying to help people DIY, Hmm. um, some CBTI techniques, including but I will say, including very detailed journals, different journals, you know, there were lots of things. And so I read through that whole website and I was like, all right, I'm a classically trained musician. And this idea that, you know, you, you have a plan, you implement it and you practice the heck out of it and you just do it. And you basically stick the landing, right? If you just practice enough. Mm-hmm. So this is my you know, my background. So I'm like, I guess I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try to do this. But somewhere along the line, I didn't have any support and I would have questions that would come up like, well, you know, what should I do in this case? And of course there's nobody there to ask and everybody that I know is sleeping fine. So eventually I just couldn't really stick with it. I couldn't really implement it. I never did do sleep restriction because I was actually very, very, that was like a, almost like a phobia for me. This was the sleep restriction. So I tried to do all the addressing your worries, get sunlight in the morning, exercise, you know, limit caffeine and alcohol, do all these things. I tried to do all of those things. And those were kind of easy because it's like, check. I spent 20 minutes in the sun today, check, Hmm. you know, But when it came to like really 
dealing with my schedule, my sleep schedule, I just was kind of half-hearted about that. So I kind of got to the point where I was like, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the next step is for me. I had been praying about it as a, as a person of faith. And, you know, so often in my experience, I pray for something and the answer is not immediately there, but it does come. And so I was just like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. And people were telling me, like messaging me and being like, you know, this could be perimenopause because, you know, some women really go through this early and, you know, you're 42 and you don't have any other symptoms, but it could be that. And I'm like, well, and, but they would say it in kind of a way like, so sucks, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you just have to kind of join the party. And I, so I just had this defeated feeling and I called my sister who is a therapist. (laughs) I called her and was like, Hey, I'm really, you know, just struggling. I'm sad. And uh, I just don't have time for this. You know, I've got a million other things to be doing. Um, and she was like, well, I don't have experience dealing with insomnia, but I have a dear friend who just went through a course uh, of CBTI um, with a therapist. And she, I'm, I'm going to call her and I'm going to ask her what she did and, um, and I'm going to get back to you. And I said, okay. So she did. And she called me back and she was like, okay. So Erin said that the number one thing that she thinks kind of set her on track was sleep restriction. And I was like, I can't do sleep restriction. I can't. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, I can't, I'm already getting such little sleep. I can't get less sleep than I'm already getting. And she was like, and my sister, I'm an oldest and she's the baby and she's very kind of soft spoken. And she's like, um, well, okay. <laughs> she didn't want to argue with me, but she was like, mm, that's what my friend said. And I don't know what else to tell you. So I was like, well, I can't. So I'll think about, well, what I said is I'll, I'll think about it. But what I was really thinking is no, I, I, I can't. So maybe two or three weeks passed and I was online just dinging around. I don't even know what I was doing. And I happened upon an interview that you did with someone else. And I listened to the whole thing. And I was like, I'm, I, I, I just, I'm going to look more into this, this Martin Reed and, and just see what, I mean, maybe this is like, I didn't, it didn't ever occur to me that I could maybe get support in an online way. I, I figured I'd have to go to a therapist. That's, that's what I thought I'd have to mm-hmm. do. So I started looking into it and I was like, I think, which for people that whose minds are not in this place. Maybe they'll think this is woo woo, but I honestly was like, I think this might be my answer to prayer. I don't know. I know it's going to involve sleep restriction and I'm going to have to get over it. I know it will, but I need the support. Hmm. So I signed up and that takes us to (laughs) whatever other question you want to ask. That was my history up until I will add this. Um, I am very sensitive. I'm a very sensitive person. And I mean, just like loud sounds, um, you know, horror movies I can't do. Um, I'm a writer. 
just a creative. And I, I sort of, um, even like strong, like perfume smells or anything, just my senses are very sensitive. I'm sensitive to that world outside world. I don't watch news. Um, and this has been the way it has been my whole life. And I can remember two other times in my life, but I didn't have really a word for it, but two other times in my life when I was a young person that I had a season of difficulty sleeping. Um, one time I remember high school was hard for me towards the end of high school. I was for a variety of reasons. I remember looking back on it when I was kind of trying to think about my life and related to the sleep, I, I thought, you know, it took me a long time to fall asleep at night in high school. And I was exhausted every day. I mean, I had, I was in orchestra. I was, I was like taking lessons, private lessons and, you know, traveling and doing all this stuff. I was exhausted, but it took me a long time and I'd have to listen to music to go to sleep. Mm. Um, and then in college, um, again, driven double major, just, you know, and I remember there being a season in college where once again, it took me forever to fall asleep. I didn't wake up ever. I don't ever remember the waking up thing, except for if I had a nightmare, but I do remember it taking me a long time to fall asleep. And once again, I listened to music and that did seem to be something that would help me probably because I'm a musician and I don't know, it just did help me. When we moved overseas, my family, I took my husband and I took three little kids. Our youngest was four and we were in Asia and that our living conditions were, were unstable. And I, you know, it was a beautiful experience. We lived there for three years. I, I don't regret any of it. I would go back tomorrow, but it was very different. It was a very big adjustment for us and for our kids. And I remember having six months or more of being like, wow, this is not jet lag. This is me unable. I cannot go to sleep until like two or three in the morning. In that case, I could sleep in, in the morning. So it didn't strike me as like this horrible thing um, because I was coping, mm -hmm. but I don't like to stay up till two in the morning because usually if that's happening, it's because my mind is racing. So I knew that like, I'm stressed. This is what it is. I'm stressed. I, I, I'm stressed in my new environment. I'll get over it. And eventually I did get over it. The difference between those times and now, I'm not, I'm not really sure, except for this pandemic has gone on and on and on. And life has been, I mean, it's just such a prolonged thing that I felt this time something was different. And I'm like, I can't get over it. Like, I just, I can't get over it. Um, and then also just the fear, some little fears like burrs that had attached themselves to the whole issue of sleep and also thinking like, is this my hormones? Am I doomed? Like, uh, you know, this is just, I had kids young. So for me, I'm looking forward to these years. I mean, I know menopause is coming at some point, but I'm like, I don't want to just live for the next, you know, eight to 10 years being like, oh, I'm in a hormonal nightmare every day and I can't sleep. And so, okay, now I'm going to be quiet. You can ask me whatever or say whatever. You know, 
all of that was great. That's why I didn't want to interrupt you because I think so many people, although they might not have the same circumstances as you, I think they'll identify with a lot of what you've shared. And that's because really your insomnia or anyone's insomnia it shares far more similarities, has much more in common from person to person than differences. And just listening to you to describe it, um, it's like you fit that model that we have that describes how chronic insomnia develops perfectly. You know, it's three P model whereby we have these, you know, the first P being predisposal. We, we have these pre, some of us are just predisposed to sleep disruption. You know, whether that's like you just described, we, we can be more sensitive to sounds. We can be really driven, really ambitious, always wanting to advance ourselves um, in terms of our career. And that can maybe just predispose us to more frequent sleep disruption. And then we have this, the second P, the precipitating event. Um, you identified that as one time when you were traveling and everything was really different. And more recently, the development of everything related to COVID. So now we're over the threshold and we're experiencing sleep disruption. Normally, sleep will just get back on track by itself sooner or later, um, as it did, you know, when you were done with that traveling experience, once you'd adjusted to that. But sometimes it doesn't, like more recently with um, before we started working together. And that's due down to the, the final the perpetuating factors. And these are all the things we do and all the things we think about completely understandably in response to that sleep disruption that instead of improving our sleep, perpetuate the problem. So things like we might start going to bed earlier than normal or staying in bed later than normal, maybe trying to nap during the day, modifying our days in response to how we sleep, calling in sick, deciding we can't meet friends, experimenting with pills and supplements, all these different things. And they can perpetuate sleep disruption because they end up kind of weakening our natural sleep drive. They can disrupt our body clock and they can increase arousal. And all of these things are exactly what you described. Um, and you became so tantalizingly close to addressing all those perpetuating issues, but you quite understandably balked at this idea of spending less time in bed and went down the path of sleep hygiene, which I think is again important to mention or to just emphasize because unfortunately for people with chronic insomnia, that's their, their first stop, you know, that's the thing that they're, they're recommended, or that's the thing they find when they go online. But we know, well, let me rephrase that. People who work with people with chronic insomnia know that sleep hygiene is not effective for people with chronic insomnia. Sleep hygiene is more to do with prevention rather than addressing the problem. Um, so it's the, the, the reason that can be a problematic is because then when we try sleep hygiene, it doesn't work, then we can become even more worried that there's something unique with our insomnia, we're kind of beyond help, and that something is seriously wrong. But in reality, the fact that our sleep is the same even after implementing sleep hygiene is to be expected. Um, so then you went on to, you know, you were looking at the medication. Um, and I think the the ironic thing with that is just as you described, yeah, you, you felt like you were getting a little bit better sleep or you were falling asleep faster. 
but the way you were feeling during the day doesn't sound very appealing, you know, just the way you were describing it. And when we consider that so much of our concern as it relates to chronic insomnia is how it's going to impact our day, when we then take a pill and we associate that pill with not having a great day, we kind of get to this point where we have to ask ourselves, well, what is this actually offering me? Because it seems to be that the solution is maybe even making the worst possible outcome even worse, so to speak. Um, and, and one thing that I always like to say, regardless of if someone is taking medication or not, is sleep is only ever generated by the body. You know, medication can generate sedation. It can lower arousal, you know, worry or anxiety about sleep. But any sleep we get, any true sleep we get, is always being generated by the body. Um, so I, I always like to emphasize that because sometimes we can develop this belief that we're only sleeping because we're taking medication, especially when we get to that point where we've decided or we try an experiment to come off of it and we find that we're struggling with sleep again. And then we can really think, oh, I must need this to sleep. But the reality is anytime we make a change, especially when we already have a heightened level of arousal around sleep, more monitoring for it, the brain wants to see what the consequence is. So we don't take a pill, then the brain has to stay a little bit more active just to see what the outcome is. And because our brain is more active, because that arousal is a little bit higher, we then need more sleep drive to overpower that arousal and make sleep happen. So if we're able to stick with it, eventually sleep drive will make sleep happen. But what can be so easy to happen when we've lost all of our confidence around sleep is that night we don't take a pill or we take less of the medication and we have a difficult night. It can reinforce this mistaken belief that we can only sleep with the pills and with the medication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that that's exactly what happened to me. And yeah. then the sense of almost weird sense of failure, like, I'm trying to get off this medicine, but I can't. I mean, I, or I can, but maybe it's going to mean I just sleep as a thing of the past. It just, it's really sad. Like it's kind of an emotional thing too. So it was for me, just, I felt just defeated really. Yeah. So, so um, just because I know a lot of people are going to be curious, what was that website that you found um, that, that got you into when you first learned about sleep restriction and sleep hygiene, et cetera. Do you remember? Um, okay. I think it's insomnia free. I think it's insomniafree.com. Uh, and I think there's a dash. I'm trying to visualize it. I have bookmarked it because the woman is funny too. I mean, mm -hmm. it's funny. And, and after going through your course, going back and rereading now with, with having been through it, I'm like, oh, she's, she's saying stuff that is absolutely true. I mean, yeah. it's consistent. It's not like she's offering wacky advice. Um, it's just that she's, she's asking people to do things that I think are often difficult to do without a human being on the other mm. end being like, here's, here's how you need to do this. Or, or what do you think about this? You know, it's, it's support. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, I think that's the main 
that's the main downside of trying to DIY it. I, I'll DIY any number of things, but this was something where I was like, I just, I can't do it without help. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's, that is a theme that comes up a lot just in these podcast discussions um, because the, the techniques themselves, and we'll definitely talk about them a little bit more in a moment, the techniques themselves on paper, they sound pretty straightforward. I mean, really they are pretty straightforward, but they're not easy to implement, especially in the short term. Um, and, if we're already at that stage where we have a lot of worry or concern or anxiety about sleep, this idea that maybe our sleep is even going to get worse than it is right now. Um, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. If we do this, that, that alone can just be, it can be hard enough to get started, let alone to keep going before you actually start to get the results. Cause the results rarely occur immediately. You have to kind of put yourself through this staying consistent um, before the results happen and it can be hard. And so I think it is helpful to have, whether it's a coach, whether it's a therapist, whether it's some other expert who's really familiar with the techniques to help, help just reassure you um, that everything you're going through, everything you're experiencing is normal. And if you just keep going, there is that light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I could have been chilled out about it. I mean, the truth is, if I could have been chilled, which I'm never chill about anything, but if I could somehow be just sort of like, yeah, you know, it's okay. I probably could have implemented some of the things or most of the things, maybe all of the things that I found on that, that website, because it's, it's very wonderful. It's a wonderful resource. But by the time I was reading that website, I was desperate. And so I didn't feel objective at all. I felt like uh, the way a person that feels like they're slipping under the waves will grab anyone who's near them and try to drown them too inadvertently um, because you just have that sense of like, I'm, I'm desperate. And so, yeah, especially like you said, when you're in a situation where you already feel big emotions about not sleeping, um, and maybe in some cases, even full on anxiety, um, then you need a human being. Yeah. I just really do believe that. Yeah. So let's move on to, to, the, to the techniques that you are implementing. Because I remember when we first started working together and you showed me that first sleep log, that first sleep diary that you submitted, you know, just again, just like many people with insomnia, you were spending a lot of time in bed each night. Definitely a lot longer compared to the amount of sleep you are typically getting on an average night. And this is one of those perpetuating factors um, because it can weaken sleep drive, you know, when we spend a lot of time in bed, going to bed before we're sleepy enough for sleep. And it can increase arousal as well because we just kind of set, us, set ourselves up for a prolonged nighttime wakefulness. So I believe we came up with an initial plan and we said, well, how about just giving yourself six hours in bed each night, allotting six hours for sleep each night. So when you first heard that, what were your initial thoughts? Was it something you were kind of expecting and prepared for and feeling enthusiastic about? Um, uh, what, what were your thoughts about it and how did you then progress on to actually implementing that? Well, I, my entire life have, um, you know, had instructors or, um, you know, mentors, or in many cases, you know, music teachers, um, and I've related one-on-one -on -one to them. And if, if I consider them to be the expert, I'm like, 
you told me to do it, I'll do it. Like the time for, for even thinking about it and feeling anything about it is done. Mm -hmm. I am in it and I'm going to do it. I think initially I felt a little sorry for myself because my husband is an early to bed, early to rise kind of guy. And so I knew that what this was going to mean <laughs> is that I was going to be out in the living room. Um, my kids are night owls. Like they just, you know, teenagers are, they're just night owls. So I knew that what that was really going to mean because we don't have a huge house is that I was going to be spending time in the main area, which was not going to be relaxing per se. Uh, it just, just, you know, just life. And so it wasn't like I could go to a den somewhere and just chill and be like, oh, okay, I'm just relaxing. No, it was like, oh, I can't go to bed. I have to stay up till midnight and my kids are going to be up and you know, they're wonderful. I love them so much, but it, I'm sort of an introvert and I, I would have ideally liked to just be by myself for that time, mm -hmm. read or whatever, but that's not typically what happened. Although they were really good. They were like, mom, they knew I did not want to be awake. Um, so <laughs> at one point I literally sat in a chair and I put headphones on and I was, I wasn't even listening to anything. I was like, I'm, this is me like creating a wall around me. I can't answer. I can't have any like, you know, heartfelt conversations. I can't, can't do any of that right now. I am, I am just going to be sitting here and trying to allow my body to just relax. Mm -hmm. And I will say that um, it wasn't the staying up that was so terrible, although I did get tired, so super tired at like eight or nine, and I would often have to fight falling asleep. It wasn't the staying up that was so terrible. It was waking up at mm -hmm. six every morning, regardless of if I slept or not. That hurt. Um, and, and, you know, for my husband, it's fine. Cause he's already getting up, but the kids were sleeping in, you know, like I just was like dragging myself out of bed and being like, Oh man, this is, mm. but I had this feeling of this is going to work. This is, I had already looked up before I even approached you. Um, just from the NIH and other studies that said that sleep restriction was extremely effective in many, many cases. So I already went in with this idea that like, this is like eating your broccoli. Like I know that this is going to work, so I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think it's an awful phrase, sleep restriction, isn't it? Because it implies that we're restricting sleep itself, but we're not, we're just restricting the amount of time we spend in bed to more closely match the amount of time we typically spend asleep, not the amount of sleep we want to get, but just the amount of sleep we're currently getting. So really, I think it should be called wakefulness restriction. I think that's a more appropriate <laughs> and approachable phrase as well, because when you hear sleep restriction, when you already have insomnia, you're like, I'm already restricting my sleep. Why do I want to restrict it anymore? Right. Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. How did, you, how did you stick? I mean, maybe this, you're going to give me the same answer, but how did you stick to that consistent out of bedtime? Because that is something that people do often struggle with, especially when, I don't know, it's almost like someone's working against you and you can be up all night and then you'll fall asleep like an hour before the sleep window ends, then your alarm goes off and you think to yourself, if I just shut that alarm off, I know I'll get like three or four hours of sleep. But the rules yeah. say I've got to get out of bed. How, how, do you, how do you deal with that challenge? How do you just force yourself to get out of bed? Well, 
you know, for everybody, it's probably different for everyone. What, what gives you the motivation to do that? Um, for me and my particular personality, um, I, when I am like, it doesn't matter if I'm training for a race cause I run or whether it's weight training or whether it's performing or writing, finishing a novel, um, you know, if it's a program and I'm like, I have a plan, then I am going to, I'm going to do the plan. That's just, that's how I am. That's I'm maybe a little tiny bit type a, but really like, I'm like, that's what the plan says. I'm doing it. Um, because if I, and I think the reason I do that, the I shift to that's the plan, just work the plan is because if I actually like tried to check inside and be like, Hmm, do I feel like doing this? Hmm, how am I feeling today? It, I don't get good feedback because I'm actually feeling bad. Like mm. I'm feeling bad because it's not fun to do something that feels like a struggle, right? We don't want to struggle in life at all. Mm. We would never choose it, but that's where growth is often. So I think rather than looking inside and trying to take my internal temperature, I just was like, this is the plan. I'm working the plan. It's, it's all there is to it. So I just did. Yeah. I just did. I, th I think that can be so helpful. I like to use the phrase, set it and forget it, where you just have this list of rules and you're just going to follow it no matter what. And you also raised a really good point about if we're just always evaluating, you know, every day, well, was this, was getting up at six in the morning helpful? Was not going to bed until midnight helpful? How's my sleep last night? And then thinking about what's my sleep going to be like tonight? Obviously, it's completely natural. That's where your mind wants to go. But when we just are doing this ongoing evaluation and exploration, all we're really doing, unfortunately, is just increasing that arousal. Um, we're just bringing more focus and attention to sleep. And like you touched upon, when we look for things, we tend to find them. So if we look for, let's say we have a couple of hours, we have a really bad night, we have a couple of hours of sleep, maybe no sleep whether it's subconsciously or consciously, we'll probably scan our bodies for all the effects. And when we scan our body looking for something, we're probably gonna find it. So we might notice like aches and pains and niggles and anything negative that happens during the day, we're just gonna immediately by default blame that on our sleep, which it might be connected, but it might not be. And this is another one of those things that can then perpetuate the sleep disruption because it just feeds into this arousal system and just makes us more worried about sleep. So I think there was some really good insights there that you just took this set it and forget it approach. And instead of putting effort into evaluation, it was all focused on implementation. Yes. And lest I sound like, uh, you know, I just did everything great, <laughs> as you know, I had real moments of low points of being like, yes, I do see improvement, but I'm seeing improvement in to the tune of like 20 minutes of mm -hmm. more sleep stretched over many, many days. And I think I got to the point where I was starting to lose my nerve of just like, you know what, it, it isn't even that I feel bad because if, because when I really filled out the sleep diaries, I was like, you know what? every single day I'm pretty, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Like every day, there were some days where I felt low energy towards the end of the day. And you encouraged me, why don't you just work out anyways? Or why don't you just try test your limits a little bit to see if maybe you're capable of a lot more, even on, even on less sleep. 
And I'm glad that you said that I did do it. And I did find that I was totally okay. Um, so that was good to kind of test some of those beliefs um, that I had. I think the biggest hurdle for me was an emotional one. Again, I'm pretty strong and I'm pretty strong mentally, but sleep has always been kind of like, a, oh, it's just always been, oh, I've just, like I was that mom that I had postpartum depression and I'm every single time. And I had three kids in a very short amount of time. So I was very, very tired. And I remember being like, I would have 10 kids except for I cannot stand the waking up multiple times in the night with the baby that lasts forever. So sleep has always been for me, I think an emotional, not getting sleep because I want to actually lose consciousness and I want to have a break from my own brain. And so at about halfway through um, our time, uh, you know, with, with doing this course, I was seeing progress, but I also was having bad nights still on occasion. And when I would have those bad nights, I would be like, I cannot believe how much this is setting me back emotionally. Like, I really feel like, uh, <laughs> like I need to call my therapist sister. Cause I'm like, so upset about it, but you know, and I'm just going to say this because I think a lot of people fall into this category. I would guess maybe it's just me. But you, you know, you said this and you were very gentle about it. Um, but the bottom line is sleep is not something you can control. And with so much in my life that felt like it was kind of out of my control because of the pandemic, I, and because I kind of like to just be an achiever, I really did have this mindset of like, I know it's not something I can control PS, but actually I really can. Because if I just do everything correctly, I will be able to control it. And then when I would have a bad night, it felt like getting an F on a algebra test. I'm like, I am doing everything and this is the result that I get. So honestly, I think there were two levels going on here and we don't have to go in this direction, but there was one level where you were like dealing with the sleep, but there was another level where I think God was dealing with me because I want to control things. Hmm. I know it's human. I know we all want to control our, our environment as much as possible, but there are some things that ultimately you and I have no control over. Um, we can do positive things. I'm not saying that we're robots. We can, we can make meaningful choices, but there are things that are beyond our ability to control. Like for instance, I'm in this stage right now where I have um, two of the three of my kids have driver's license. They work, they, they are still able to work even through the pandemic and they work at night, which means they're on the road at night. Not, I mean, they get home at like 10, but I actually have to fight imagining what if they get in a car accident? Mm. What if, what if something happens to them? What if, um, because I cannot control that. So this is kind of meta, but sleep for me was actually more than just sleep. It was about letting go of control of the yeah. things that I can't control. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And it's, Going back to the core of it again, it's completely understandable why we would want to control it. You know, I, every, 
pretty much everything in our life responds positively to effort. Maybe sleep might be the only exception to that. <laughs> um, but it's understandable why we want to put effort in sleep, why we want to control sleep, but we cannot. But that doesn't mean that we're beyond help because right. what we can do is we can control how we react to difficult nights. We can control our sleep-related behaviors. There are things we can control that increase the likelihood of better sleep, that create good conditions for sleep. Um, and so I, I think that's really helpful. And also exploring this idea of, well, why do I want to control sleep? And right. then we can kind of go down this route, well, I want to control sleep because I know that if I have a difficult night, for example, I can't, I can't go out in the evening. I won't be able to go to the movies. I won't be able to go to a restaurant. I won't be able to work out as well. You know, I won't be able to exercise as well. So how about now we test that belief? So instead of, let's just use working out, instead of not working out because I had a difficult night, how about we just try it and just test that belief, test it, just an experiment because it might be true, but we don't know unless we try it out. And sometimes when we do that, maybe we can't work out as intensely or it doesn't feel as good, but often we can be surprised by how capable we can be even after a really difficult night, maybe even after no sleep, maybe even after a few nights of little to no sleep. And then we can think, hmm, maybe I don't have to worry quite so much about sleep. Maybe I don't have to try and control sleep quite as much. And then that in turn can help just lower all that sleep related arousal. You know, one of these things that perpetuates insomnia and really keep us on that path towards better sleep. Yes, absolutely. And that's been, that's been the case for me. I've had to confront a lot of, um, sleep fears or fears that associated with not sleeping. Um, and then, you know, combat those with more rational and true thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in the last month, my sleep has only continued to improve. This last week was crazy because we had plumbing issues in our house and we had a technician in our house till almost midnight. So there were a couple of nights that were wacky because not because of insomnia, but because of extenuating circumstances, which is life. Yeah. I did have the night before last, um, we think that my son has COVID. It's very mild, but he is, has some symptoms and lost all sense of like taste. And, you know, so we were like, Meh, you know, he's okay and we're all okay. But it meant that we were all quarantined. And that did cause me the day that that happened, which was like a couple days ago, the day that that happened, I was like, no, not again. Mm -hmm. And that night I fell asleep fine as normal, but woke up in the night, laid there, tried to go back to sleep. And for the first time in many, many days, I was like, I got to get up. I got to mm -hmm. get up and get out of bed. Got to go do something else. Then I eventually came back in, did not look at the clock. I'm very good. My clocks are all in my bedroom. Like they're turned away. I'd never look at them didn't even look at it on the microwave in the, where I was when I got up um, and then laid back down and eventually slept through the night. And when I calculated my sleep, it was a decent amount. It was like six hours. Mm -hmm. um, but that's such a huge change because even having a difficult night, I bounced back. I exercised the next day and the day after, which was last night, I slept eight hours. Like, wow out. And now for me at week 12, I'm routinely sleeping 
between seven and eight hours. And seven hours is like on the skimpy side, like typically seven and a half, but sometimes eight. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty typical of my life before. I mean, that's pretty much how much sleep I got before all of this happened. So, but I say that the reason I share that story about even this week is because I still some nights will lay there and have this residual fluttery heart, little bit of rapid heartbeat, falling asleep, almost like my body kind of wants to not do it. But I'm like, I'm just accepting this feeling. It's okay. This is not going to keep me from sleeping. And then I do fall asleep within about 10 to 15 minutes. And this is a huge change for me. But I want to say this to give hope to anyone who maybe the anxiety lingers a bit longer than it's not something that for me has just gone away. I yeah. still, I don't have anxiety in the day. Like it is a hundred percent better, but I'd be lying if I said, um, cause in a lot of ways, life is still crazy around here. You know, I mean, it's crazy town, um, in the U S yeah. <laughs> so, so we're still all living through some very big things, very momentous things in our history. And that does get under your skin. And so I would be lying if I said that I don't still have to be sort of like mindful of like, okay, I'm feeling a little ramped up. I'm going to wait an extra 15 minutes between before trying to go to bed or, you know, so and yet I'm still sleeping between seven and eight hours a night. And I don't wake up that often. Mm -hmm. Like if I do, it's probably like one or two nights a week. And I wake up for like 30 seconds and I'm right back asleep. So I say all that to say that like the techniques work, they work better than I could have hoped. And even though I felt very low a couple of times during that eight weeks, um, and I still sometimes struggle with feeling like, why am I feeling so performance oriented with sleep? It's stupid. Why is this so much part of my DNA that I can't let go of that, that just that tendency, but you know, those kind of habits die hard. It took me a while to get insomnia. And I think it's just taking me a while to deprogram from that way of seeing it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. You know, it took a while for the insomnia to develop. So it makes sense. It's going to take time for you to move past it. Um, and it's not just this on-off switch. This magic on-off switch is going to be ups and downs along the way. And if you have, like, worry or anxiety about sleep, that's really something that is tackled over the longer term, you know, through just repeatedly yeah. experiencing better nights um, those thoughts that once generated really intense worry or anxiety kind of lose their power. That's not to say they go away, um, but they lose their power and we react in a different way to them. Um, and one reason why I love all these behavioral change techniques and just changing the way we think about sleep is, and I think you touched upon this, is they build resilience. It's almost like we come out of it a much stronger person than before the insomnia ever affected us. Um, because we, we know how to react. We've gone through this, we've come out of it. So we feel stronger. We've, we're then armed with all these skills and techniques. So we know exactly how to respond to difficult nights. And we know that should insomnia ever return, we just do exactly what we did in the past that worked for us. We just do it again. Um, and there's no reason to believe it won't work again. 
Yes, and in fact, um, I printed out the, you know, that encouragement sort of checklist that you have where you talk about if, you know, don't panic if you, you know, if you experience a couple of bad nights in a row, um, you beat insomnia before you can beat it again. And what are, and it was a reminder of what are some of the techniques that worked last time. And I, I have this full length mirror in my bedroom and I just taped it to the top of my mirror. It's almost like a, <laughs> when a baby has like a blankie or a passy, because I just have it there. And I'm like, I don't need it right now because I am consistently getting better, hmm. but there's my list. And if I do need it, there it is. Yeah. So, yeah. So that yeah. was really helpful. That's great. And, and another point you touched upon is how you've just continued to make progress, even though we're not working together anymore. And that's another reason why I love these techniques because they're skills-based. It's they're skills-based and it's almost just like learning new habits. And so once we've kind of implemented them, got some results from them, we're kind of confident in our effectiveness. We kind of become our own coach. We become our own therapist. We become our own counselor. We become our own cheerleader and we can just go ahead and just carry on by ourselves. Um, and that experience that you just touched upon of my sleep is still doing well, still getting better, still having better nights, even though the training wheels are off. I'm doing this by myself now. <laughs> and that's another reason why I'm just so enthusiastic about just behavioral change and, and, and exploring thoughts that perpetuate insomnia as a way of moving past insomnia because it's just so helpful for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm just very, very pleased. I'm very thankful for the way that this has turned out. And I'm very thankful for the way that you were super um, quick to respond, answer questions, basically helped me breathe into a paper bag a couple of times. When I was like, I'm not okay. Um, it, that, that has helped me. And I, yeah, you can't really put a price on that. So I just want to thank you publicly for that. Oh, well, I appreciate <laughs> that. You know, talk, talking about the techniques themselves, you know, we've covered um, how you allotted like a more appropriate amount of time for sleep, and sleep, sleep restriction, the official phrase for it. Um, we briefly touched upon this technique of just getting out of bed whenever being in bed doesn't feel good during the night. Um, just to try and make that wakefulness a bit more pleasant, to eliminate any temptation to put effort into sleep and to prevent you from reinforcing any negative association between your bed and just unpleasant emotions, unpleasant wakefulness. Um, and you touched upon exploring the beliefs that you may have had, that you may have developed about sleep, that may have been encouraging you to put pressure on yourself to sleep, to try and control sleep, like what the, what the next day will be like, or I can't do this if I have a difficult night. Um, so I know that you've covered that we've covered those. Was there anything else that we might be missing? Was there anything else that you picked up that you found particularly helpful that you think anyone listening to this might, might find useful? Well, I will just say that, um, I liked how when it came to relaxation techniques that you were very sort of open-ended with that and, you know, kind of encouraged us to pick something that we resonated with or something that seemed like it worked, but not to feel, you know, tied to one method or another. Um, for me, what has been most successful, I would say, in dealing with sleep anxiety, even, even that hyper arousal that your body wants to do, even when you didn't have it five seconds before you laid down and then you lie down and you're like, uh, um, 
for me, what was, what was ultimately more effective is to simply like sit with that feeling uh, and not try to fight it in any way. Mm-hmm. Not that, not that relaxation techniques are fighting it. I know those are, those are there to help your body and also to help distract your mind basically from sort of focusing on your anxiety. But for me, um, it was more effective to sort of just, um, let it pass. Like just, uh, I think the more attention that I give to those feelings and maybe because I am so performance driven, it feels like even relaxing can be sort of a, am I good? Am I, am I doing a good job relaxing? I mean, it's sometimes it's better for me to just be like, this is a bad feeling and it's okay. It's not actually going to kill me. Just like weightlifting. Sometimes when you're, you know, squatting with a barbell on your back, it feels bad. Like it, it feels like you feel like you're going to, I don't know, explode, but it's okay. Like it'll be okay. And so I think that kind of self-talk actually has been more effective for me. And one more thing, I did implement um, the getting out of bed sometimes in the early stages, multiple times a night. I found that to be the the most difficult thing Mm. of any of it. That was extremely hard for me. I've kind of looked on the forum, on your forum and, um, and seen some other, and it may be hard for both men and women, but in my, what I've seen, it seems especially hard for women. I think it's because we're cold at night, a lot of us, and getting out of bed feels like murder. Um, so I did do it, but about halfway through, I kind of tweaked it and was like, and I was so glad you you confirmed this and said that this was okay. If, if I'm not feeling bad in bed, if I'm not feeling anxious, if it's not sort of a a negative, then I can just be comfortable and lay there, mm-hmm. you know, and as long as, and I don't necessarily have to leave bed. Um, if being in bed is okay. And it seems like, you know, the conditions would, as you said, would be right for sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, that was helpful for me because again, the getting out of bed, it was good initially. I mean, I think it did sort of like really break that connection of that being in bed is struggling is to struggle. Yeah. But long-term man, woo, especially in the winter, I was like, Oh, I just, this is the worst. So yeah. that actually was the hardest technique for me. It might be for somebody else too, but it can be really helpful. Yeah. Well, it, it is definitely a challenging technique, um, especially when, again, it comes down to this, we, we're striving for sleep. We want sleep to happen. So the last thing we want to do is get out of bed. But, you know, at the end of the day, if we're awake anyway, if that wakefulness feels unpleasant, we might as well do something that's going to make that wakefulness a little bit more pleasant. And so I think it can be helpful to reframe it instead of thinking, oh, I've been awake for 20 minutes, half an hour, I have to get out of bed. How about, well, does it feel good? And if it feels good to be in bed, then why get out of bed? Because it feels good. You're in your sleep window. Conditions feel right for sleep. Maybe sleep will happen. And that can make it a lot more approachable. And I think just as effective because all we're really trying to do is make sure that nighttime wakefulness isn't unpleasant. And we're trying to avoid making strength, reinforcing this negative association between the bed and unpleasant wakefulness. 
Um, and I think it was also really important what you said about, I know we've touched upon our temptation control to control sleep, but your temptation to control your thoughts about sleep, you know, trying to suppress thoughts, trying to push them away from your mind, trying to convince yourself that those thoughts aren't there or that they're true or that they're false. All of this can be really unhelpful. Um, just recognizing that thoughts are just thoughts can be helpful, that they're not always accurate, that they're not necessarily facts, um, and that we don't have to respond to them. Um, but I think that is a higher level skill that can take a lot of practice and it can take time to get to that point. Um, but it's, I just think it was so helpful the way you mentioned that um, because so much of it can come down to control. And, you know, with your permission, I know I emailed you this before our chat. I would love to just quickly read that excerpt that you um, sure. emailed me when <laughs> we were working together about this apparent conflict between well, you're telling me not to control sleep or put effort into sleep. So therefore, why am I staying out of bed until midnight? Why am I getting out of bed at three in the morning? Why am I doing all these things? Surely that's effort. But the way you phrased it was just brilliant. So I'd love to read that and um, okay. if that's okay with you. It's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. So this is what you said. I guess the problem as I see it is we sign up for the course because we know something's wrong and needs correcting. We want sleep, but in order for it to work, we have to convince ourselves that we don't care if we sleep, thus lowering our anxiety. But deep down, we know we do care. So the game then becomes, how can I trick myself into a state of not caring? That's probably crudely put, but that's how it seems to me. I know I want more sleep or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing but I'm finding it really hard not to care about sleeping. I'm trying to follow all of the suggestions religiously, but it seems like my sleep anxiety wants to metastasize with every effort I make. And that's what I want to overcome. So looking back on that now, what would you say your answer is to that apparent conflict between not caring, but caring enough to make changes? <laughs> um. I wish, you know, I wish I could remember or put my finger on the point at which it started to shift for me because I wrote that and was like, seriously, this is what I consider to be the Achilles heel mentally of all of this is mm -hmm. like, how do you, how do you rec reconcile this? But I have to say over time, and I do not remember when it happened, I did start caring a little bit less about sleeping. And I think the reason that I started caring less is that I was like, the truth is I'm actually doing okay, whether I sleep or not. So it's kind of like when you're watching what you eat and you're trying to eat more healthfully, you cannot literally control metabolically what your body system is doing, how it burns the calories, what it does with the nutrients that's beyond you. But what you can do is be like, you know what? Part of, part of who I want to be is a person that does what I can do to take care of my body. So I'm going to enact these things. I'm going to eat a green salad because you know what? I, I, I know it's good and I want to do it. Um, but as far as being like obsessive about like, okay, so then what does that mean? Um, what, what nutrients went where? I wonder, it's like, that doesn't matter. So 
I'm not, I, I'll be honest with you. It's like, I don't remember, but I was thinking about it the other day when you sent me that email and I was like, I didn't do any tricking of my mind. It mm-hmm. just over time, it just happened. I just started realizing, I think I, I actually, what I think it is, is it's time. You have to just prove it to yourself that you're going to continue to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I think when that shift happens, it's like, oh, okay. Okay you know what, it's going to be fine on the night that the plumber was here. And I was like, I cannot, I'm looking at my, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, I cannot believe this. Um, I was like, but you know what, who cares? It's okay. I think the one thing that still does get me is feeling if I wake up in the night and I feel anxiety I still, which is rare, it's, it's actually becoming extremely rare, but if it does happen, that is still the thing that I'm like, I have to actively practice self-talk. Like mm. it's okay. Every literally like it's okay. Everyone wakes up in the night. That's normal. I can lay here if it feels good. And if it doesn't, I can get up. Like I have to, sometimes it's like Sesame street. I have to tell myself this little thing it happened the night before last, as I said, but I think the issue was like, our son was like, I can't, I don't feel good. And I can't taste. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I wasn't worried for his really, he's, he's fine. But I just was more like, Oh, life has changed again. We cannot go out. Oh my gosh. For 14 days. Um, so I think that I still am in that fragile state where sometimes I have to practice this self-talk but in general, I just do care about sleep less. Yeah. You know, and I think you make a good point there that we're always going to experience temporary sleep disruption, temporary sleep disruption from time to time. You know, it's just a normal part of life. And I think it would be more unusual not to experience sleep disruption um, if we're concerned that our child, for example, may have may have COVID. You know, that I think it would be more unusual to sleep well after receiving <laughs> such news or worrying about that. Um, but the the beauty of it, the change now is that you kind of, you have a plan in place like you just touched upon. You know, you know that if you wake during the night, you can just remind yourself that, look, waking during the night is normal. And you know that if being in bed doesn't feel good, you've got something else to do instead. Um, And I think that it really comes down to just controlling what we can control. Yeah. You know, these techniques, they're not intended to convince us you should not care about sleep. Just pretend you don't care about sleep because sleep is important. but we, we do sleep, even people with chronic insomnia, we do sleep, just typically less sleep than we want to get. Right. And our body will always give us, at the very least, the bare minimum amount of sleep we need. Um, so really, our intention is just to direct our attention towards things that we can control, you know, like exploring, evaluating the thoughts about sleep that might not be accurate, but generate a lot of worry and sleep disruption. And, you know, if we can lower that arousal system while building the sleep drive, strengthening the body clock, we're going to create better conditions for sleep to occur. So I think really the summary is to just put our effort and attention into controlling things or exerting effort constructively on things that we can control where it's worth putting that effort in. And putting into sleep directly itself isn't helpful because we cannot control sleep. 
Right. Uh, the One of the most helpful things I think that I clung to that you said is the body will, I've said it to myself, the body will always give the bare minimum of what you need. It will always at least do that. It made sense to me. It clicked. I told myself that a million times. I will just say also to listeners, just briefly, um, you don't have to wait to start this course when you feel like you've got just the ideal space and time to do it. I started a new job coinciding with starting this course. I had a total life change. And, um, and so that could have produced a lot of anxiety, like, well, I, you know, I have to get up and I've got all, you know, all the stuff to do and, and I'm balancing, you know, home life. And, um, and also I'm trying to, but actually what it did is it, it allowed me to be distracted in the day from thinking about sleep mm-hmm. and then just work in the plan at night. And yes, there were some times where I'm like, I, especially in the late afternoon or early evening, if I tried to watch TV while I was doing sleep restriction, like I would be like, you know, kind of like, I get, uh, I can't, my kids would be like, mom, mom, you're falling asleep. So I did have some moments like that. But what I want to say to anybody is you can actually do this at any time. It, I mean, tomorrow is a good time to start it today. You know, you can do it at any time. You don't have to wait for the perfect time. Um, when you have a break or something like that, you really can, you really can do this and go on with normal life. So yeah. I, I think with anything, it's always hard to find that perfect time, isn't it? It's um, yeah. what springs to my mind is having children. You know, when should we have children? <laughs> There's never a perfect time to have children, you know, <laughs> like it, if, if that's your plan, then you'll probably never end up having children. But um, yeah, that's just what, that's what sprung to my mind when, when you mentioned that is there is never a perfect time. So sooner rather than later is often is often the best approach um if that's something that you want to do if so in terms of insomnia if you're keen to start implementing techniques to improve sleep then why wait um you've probably tried a million things already that haven't proven to be helpful why not try something else that will probably be more difficult more challenging but is proven to get results um but Anyway, um, Hannah, I know I've taken a lot of your time and I really appreciate you coming on um, and giving up your time to talk about your your transformation. I like to call it, it is a transformation. Um, but I, I always like to end with the same question in all of these episodes. So I'd like to ask it to you as well. So as one last question, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they are beyond help and that they cannot do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? Well, I would tell them that um, you really can. I mean, you you really can. You can experience, I mean, (laughs) I, I have three kids, you know, in 10 years, we'll look back. I mean, we're living through a pandemic. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Stress levels are high. My hormones are starting to shift. There are all of these reasons why I shouldn't be able to experience much improvement. My anxiety had reached such a level before I started this that I was on medication and we were even possibly talking about getting on an anti-anxiety med, which some people legitimately need, but in hindsight, I realize would have, would have created more problems for me than solving them because my anxiety was related to sleep. So I say all that to say, 
if I can experience improvement, you can too. It is absolutely possible. And it's a gift you should give yourself. It might be harder in the short term, but almost everything good in, and worth it is hard in the short term for a long-term gain. That's great. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. So thank you again, Hannah, for coming on and share, sharing your time and sharing your experience and your transformation. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two-week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long-term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email-based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half-hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>